0: Welcome everyone who's watching uh, or listening to this online. Uh, I'm Lars Hammer. I'm the pastor at Lord of Grace Lutheran Church in Marana, Arizona. And I hope you enjoy the broadcast and can follow along. Uh, I hope that you'll also check up on our website and stay current with that. That gives the best reminders of things going on in our church. Uh, You may be listening to this on the website at lordofgrace.org. Uh, but stay current with it. I uh, hope everyone's home and staying safe. Uh, we're going to continue our Holy Week journey. Our congregation is closed um, in terms of worship and meetings, in-person activities, all the way through May 10th as of right now. We're going to revisit that at the end of April. But for now, plan on at least no worship uh, through May 10th. So, uh, And, of course, this uh, has been a learning experience for all of us. I'm learning to get used to this whole preaching to an empty room or speaking into a microphone, uh, but it's what you have to do to stay safe. This is not the kind of things I want to take my chances with or be flippant about. It's just something that is, and you have to accept it, and you have to figure out how to deal with it on its own terms, which in many ways uh, is a very humbling situation to be in. You know, the coronavirus is its an enemy you can't see, uh, that you can't beat with force. If you get a regular infection, regular infection, you take penicillin or something. You just fight it. But viruses don't respond well to drugs. There's no antibiotics for it. There's no pill that can cure it, which is what makes it all so humbling and so hard for many of us. Because all you can do with this virus is retreat back into your house and stop going out and wait it all out. And the only way we're going to beat this is if we all retreat. So that's it. You give up, you hide, and you run. You have to retreat to win. And it's very humbling to accept that you can't do much of anything to stop it. Wash your hands, stay home, but half those things are passive. Avoid contact, avoid groups. It's a bit of a paradox, right? You give up to win. And yet, giving up to win is a very Christian idea. Remember, it was Jesus himself who said, For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. That's Luke 9:24. Now you could also translate this verse, Uh, the word life could be translated as soul. So you could say, for those who want to save their soul will lose it, and those who lose their soul for my sake will save it. But how do you lose your soul? It's not easy to follow Jesus here. The word for soul and life here in the Greek is psuche. It's the word we get psyche from. That's why psyche has a P in front of it. It comes from the Greek, psuche. And so that's where we get psychology from, which originally was the study of the soul. So the study of ourselves, our behavior, our thoughts, and our mind was the study of the soul. So why does this matter? I think at times like this, the hardest thing to give up is often not the possessions, although that's always hard to do too. It's the stuff in our heads, in our hearts, the things in our psyches, the things that are part of our emotional, personal makeup. Things like pride, honor, esteem. I've seen people give up every penny they own before they'll give up what they see as their honor. People have died in wars only for that reason. There was a point, a little history nerd here, but if you go back to World War I, there was a point in the middle of this war when all the different powers realized that it was basically just dragging on and on and on, and they were at a point where they all could have just stopped and gone home. But no politician wanted to be the one to go back to their people and say, they fought all these years, and all these people died. And the only thing we got out of it was a return to exactly where we were before. So they kept fighting just to say that they didn't lose. Or, or you think of all the people who'd rather die than suffer a defeat. right? The slogans of death before surrender. Better to lose your life than your honor or your pride. Better to keep... Fighting, even though you know it's a total loss, rather than give up, and risk losing face. And with pride, you don't win by losing; you win by winning. When your enemy hits you, you hit back. When I was a camp program director for a summer out in Western New Jersey, uh, there was a—I was called out to this cabin. There was a boy there. I don't know, seventh grade maybe. Uh, he wouldn't wake up in the morning and so his counselor said he'd go around and he'd spray anybody who didn't wake up with this little squirt bottle he had with water and and he said he'd come by and he'd squirt it on your face if you wouldn't wake up and so he told everybody okay wake up wake up this one kid just ignored him ignored warning after warning after warning so then uh... the counselor Apparently came up and sprayed the kid, a little bit. Uh, even the kid admitted it wasn't a lot of water. But when he sprayed the kid, the kid turned around, got up, and just clocked the counselor right in the face. So that's when I got called in, and so I sat down to talk with him, and uh, you know, why did you do that? And he goes, I don't stay. I don't stay hit. You hit me. Ba- you hit me. I hit back. I don't care who you are. I don't stay hit. And, you know, in the neighborhood he came from, that's the rule of the street. You hit back, or uh, you're everybody's servant. Let's use that word. If I don't hit back, I have no honor, no pride, I have no dignity, I'm nothing. I have to hit back. Even if I know there's no chance at winning, at least I go down swinging. That's street logic, but it's not Jesus' logic. Jesus' logic says, you take a stand of humility, and instead of hitting back, you resist with love, which means you don't just roll over and be a punching bag, but you don't give violence for violence. It's the essence of who Jesus is, not the guy who sits on a throne and barks off orders and chops off hands or heads or whatever if people don't obey. Jesus is the humble king, the one who gives up that kind of power, deliberately taking the less powerful position out of love. Jesus' force is a force of persuasion through love and sacrifice, not through coercion. In Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul puts this beautifully. He says, uh, Philippians 2, 5, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." So Jesus had the choice to come to earth and bash heads and take names and put people in their places with force. He could have been the next great conqueror, the great emperor of all emperors. He could have crushed Rome simply by speaking the words, but instead he took the opposite way, humility. Instead of coming in power to conquer and to defeat and destroy, he came in powerlessness and humility. Which is what you see on Palm Sunday when Jesus finally comes into Jerusalem. For three years he's been outside the big city preaching all around the countryside and towns up and down the coast. And his reputation spread all over. So he's famous. And now he's finally going to go to Jerusalem. The center of it all with the money and the power. And he comes at Passover time which is the holiest time in Judaism. It is also the busiest time of the year for Jerusalem. The population of the city would swell, doubling, tripling sometimes, with pilgrims from all over the world. And when the Romans uh, were all worried that all these pilgrims might lead to a revolt, they sent in troops to occupy the place. And the troops didn't stay in tents outside the city, they stayed in whoever's house they wanted to stay in. So you had this very holy time with big crowds and Jesus comes in and the crowd sees him coming up the hill with his disciples and they get excited and they're all, uh, they're all riled up. This is finally the guy who's going to start the rebellion and overthrow Rome. And yeah, it'll be bloody, but we'll get a new kingdom. And we will no longer be humiliated and colonized. We will be proud and strong. And they see Jesus coming and they cheer him on. And they're throwing their coats on the ground uh, along with palms and in some Gospels, it just says leafy with leafy branches. It must have been a mad scene, so much going on. But you know what you don't see? Anything resembling what a normal king would have. There's no great war chariot, no servants, no army, no soldiers, no banners or flags. There's no swords or spears to wave in the air, no chance to rile up the crowd, no talk of a revolution. Instead you see Jesus sitting there on a donkey being ushered in by a crowd who's singing. He came not in power but in humility. He wasn't going to fight the city, fight the city into the kingdom. He was going to love the city into the kingdom. Some people say that Palm Sunday is when Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And parts of it certainly look triumphal. the Cheers, the crowd, the waving. But to triumph, you have to have actually fought something. You have to have an enemy to fight and defeat. To triumph, you have to triumph over someone. There has to be a loser at the end of the day. But there's no loser here. There's just Jesus. It's more like, the, instead of the end of a game where everyone raises up a trophy, it's more like the beginning of, say, the Super Bowl. You know, the players come out of the locker room and they run through this giant inflatable tube And there's rock music playing and there's this tunnel of cheerleaders and there's commissioners and people in suits and then there's the old players of the glory days of yore and they're all cheering you on, but you haven't played the game yet. You haven't triumphed. They're just hoping you will. That's more what Palm Sunday is. The people cheering the triumph they think is coming. But Jesus doesn't take the crowd's cheers and use it to start a fight. He goes on in, sitting on a donkey. We know how this story goes. That Jesus will, we know he's going to go into the city. He's going to go up to the temple. He's going to knock over the tables of the money changers. He's going to get in trouble with the law. And he'll go from being cheered to being killed in a matter of days. So there's really nothing triumphal about the end of the story. And what Jesus will show is a level of humility, the humility that doesn't care at all about pride or honor or glory, but only about loving the people. He tried to love them into the kingdom even if they didn't want it because the kingdom of God is not built with swords but with love and sacrifice. It doesn't triumph in power, but in humility. And it's a hard way to follow because we're humans and we have pride. And our pride tells us not to stay hit, not to take it, not to let them punch without counter punching, not to surrender, but to go down in flames. But that's not the way of Jesus. His way is to ride into the city in humility, to love the world into the kingdom. And it's a paradox. It makes no sense. You don't win by losing. You don't get honor in giving up. You don't triumph by surrendering. Except that with Jesus, you do. Amen.